For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is the word of the Lord. Last August, when I was writing sermon titles for this whole year, and I read this text late into the night as Gail and I were flying to Fairbanks, Alaska, I kept remembering that Paul had written these words 20 to 25 years before Matthew wrote them in his gospel. Matthew in his gospel said that Jesus was asked one day, what's the greatest commandment in all of Torah? And he said, well, it's in Deuteronomy. It's the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You must love this one with all of your heart and mind and soul and strength. And the second is from Numbers. It's similar. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Paul, writing at least 20 years earlier, had written, The whole of Torah is summed up in this one sentence, that you love your neighbors. Do unto others as they, as you would have them do unto you. Dr. Victor Furnish was one of our professors at Perkins School of Theology, Southern Methodist University, for more than 40 years. He retired a few years ago. He will be remembered long after his death for two major contributions. I keep telling my Bible class that meets in the sanctuary every Sunday morning how narrowly focused seminary professors often are. Like medical people, they focus narrower and narrower on one particular area of expertise. And his great love became Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. He finally wrote the definitive work on that letter. In my Bible, the second letter of Paul to the church at Corinth has eight pages. Dr. Victor Furnish wrote 588 pages about those eight. But after he had written this definitive work that I'm sure will be used in our major seminaries for several decades, he then focused on the ethics of Paul. If grace is so amazing, and I'll talk about that again next Sunday, what do we do after we've received God's gift? What is right? What is wrong? What is good? What is bad? And how do we choose that which is good? That which is helpful, meaningful. How do we make decisions about good and bad, right and wrong? Let's look at this text. Paul writes to the church at Galatia, you were made for freedom. You were made for freedom. August Wilson is an African-American playwright. His characters are all African-American. And for many years in this country, it was difficult to draw large audiences to plays featuring only all African-American casts, most often with African-American directors and producers. Ten of his plays finally made it to Broadway through the years, but none lasted very long. But things have changed. We have an African-American president in the White House now. And someone decided maybe now August Wilson's plays could do well on Broadway. And one of them was brought back. It hasn't been there in more than 20 years. It's called Joe Turner's Come and Gone. 
It's a story about a boarding house in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, 1911, and what life was like for black people in America. People have come into a boarding house to live, to eat, to work, from which to work. And so you meet a variety of characters, but the play centers on two. One of them, August Wilson says, is a hoodoo man. He's been a hoodoo man all his adult life, and he's still a hoodoo man. The other's looking for his wife. She disappeared one night, ran off with somebody else. He's been looking for her all these years. He's sure that if he could just find her, she would come back to him. She is the great love of his life. As the play goes on, of course, and these characters interact with each other, these two men, more than the others, are looking for the meaning, the purpose. The meaning and the purpose of life. But August Wilson pins about Joe Turner. He was finally fully resurrected, cleansed, and given breath. Eastertide is about Christ being fully resurrected, not needing to be cleansed, as were those for whom he died, and now breathed with the new breath of the Holy Spirit of God. And the followers of his can also know themselves to be resurrected into freedom. But whatever it is that keeps you from being wholly human, wholly child of God, whatever fears you harbor, whatever things oppress, depress, compress your life, you are created to be free. Number two, Paul says here, Christ has set you free. Christ has set you free. You were created for freedom. God wants you to be freed from anything that makes you less than you're capable of being by the grace of God. And Christ has set you free. One of Gail's and my favorite Broadway shows that we've seen several times is a chorus line. Probably you've seen it as well. A chorus line ran on Broadway years and years. Two big performances on Wednesdays and Saturdays and nightly performances on other nights of the week. Remember that it's a story, really a rather clever idea, about the thousands of people who try to make a living as dancers and how desperately they try to find another job, another job, another job, just to sort of keep their heads above water. Uh, what if you were to bring a lot of dancers together and start interviewing them for a show? What might come out of the interviews? And a chorus line is really based on that one author's idea, a playwright. What if we took these people's stories and made them into a play? And as you recall, the play really is about the director who's putting this uh, cast together, questioning one character after the other, and good things come out and sometimes bad things come out. And then finally the cast is chosen. And when the curtain goes up again, you see them magnificently arrayed now as dancers on Broadway with the top hats, and they come out in perfect step, looking like the Rockettes of Radio City and singing every little step you take. You know that song. Well, in 2006... Three years ago, somebody decided, why don't we bring a chorus line back to Broadway? But what if we were to do a documentary on pulling this cast together? What similarities might we find from that first group of people who auditioned that brought the first show into being? They announced in the New York City papers they were going to have a revival of a chorus line, and more than 3,000 young dancers showed up hoping to get one of 19 spots. 
More than 3,000. But this is the part I want you to hear. Joe Morgenstern wrote a preview after he had seen the documentary. Wrote for the Wall Street Journal. The director of this new revival could never have been a judge on American Idol. Because several times he was moved to tears when somebody failed or somebody else did exceptionally well. Moved to tears when somebody failed or somebody else did exceptionally well. Paul says, we know that one who created the heavens and the earth and is so moved by our failures and our successes that he sent his son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Number three. If you were created to be free, and if Christ has come to set you free, do not let your freedom lead you to sinful indulgences. Do not let your freedom cause you to do bad things, wrong things, but good things, helpful things. Many years ago, Gail and I actually got to meet Jay Leno. It was 30 years ago. I was still a pastor in Beaumont. Bob Hope was still doing special shows on television, special variety shows. Finally got to the point that most of them were uh, shows done for military troops in other parts of the world. But those shows were sponsored, if you recall, by Texaco Oil. Now, Texaco had a major presence in southeastern Texas. They had a major refinery at Port Arthur, which is just a few miles south of Beaumont. Now, Texaco was a good community citizen down there and had built a school for children with really pronounced learning disabilities. Uh, Texaco wanted to have a big dinner and a big show and charge a lot of money for tickets to help keep this school going well. And so they got Bob Hope to come. But Bob Hope's opening act in those years was a young guy, 29 years old, named Jay Leno. And Gail and I, since I was the pastor of the head of Texaco in southeast Texas, I got to say the prayer and we were close to Bob Hope and Jay Leno for a few minutes and got to say hello to them. So I was pleased when Jay Leno was chosen to succeed Johnny Carson. And for 17 years, he has held the number one rating in his time slot. He's followed Johnny Carson very well. And now NBC's decided, well, to put Conan in that spot and move Jay Leno to the 9 to 10 o'clock spot beginning next fall. Now, Jay Leno's being interviewed about how he feels about that and how he's come to be who he is. But I've heard him talk about this before because I've watched him for years. And Jay Leno said, my father was a first generation Italian-American who got up early in the morning and worked into the night trying to sell insurance policies. He married my mother, he said, who was Scotch. Being from Scotland, she squeezed every penny, every nickel, every dime, every quarter, and she was painfully shy. He said, when I was a little boy and she would take me to the supermarket, I learned how much fun it was to run away from her. And I would go to a cashier and say, I'm lost. And she'd ask, what's your name? And she'd say, Jay Leno. And she'd say, Mrs. Leno, would you please come and get your son? And his mother would hide in the closet. Because she didn't want any attention focused on her. 
But Jay Leno was asked, what's the secret to your success? And he said, I learned never to take myself too importantly. He said, I was dyslexic. I saw things backward, didn't spell very well. I wasn't the best looking guy in class. I wasn't the best student. And so all my life, I've tried to remember it's about her. It's about him. It's about them. Number four, all of Torah can be summed up in this, that you treat the other the way you want to be treated, that you love your neighbor as you love yourself. Michael Lewis has written that he was making a major address in California. said he had carried his cell phone with him, as he always did, but he had turned it off because now it was time for the presentation to begin. Uh, the people who were going to be on the platform uh, were marched in. They said uh, there were opening ceremonies of various kinds and introductions to be made. And finally, I was presented and I gave my address. Overall, from the time we had marched out of the green room until it was over and we were back there again, it had been almost an hour and a half. And so I took my little phone out of my pocket and I opened it up and discovered that in that hour and a half, I'd had three messages from my wife. Number one. She said, our 11-week-old son was having great difficulty breathing and she was going to rush him to the doctor. Number two, the doctor has said, don't even stop here. Take him immediately to the hospital. Number three, the hospital said, we're putting him in intensive care. He has severe respiratory distress. So Michael said, I had to drive all that way home to Berkeley, California. I thought I would never get there. But what I kept thinking on the way is how little I'd invested in the first 11 weeks of my kid's life. I'd not been any help. Not really. Not really. When I got to the hospital, my wife was absolutely exhausted, but our son was already making a little turn for the better. I told her, please, Go home, get some sleep. I will be here. I will not close my eyes until you're back again. And then he writes, you know what I discovered? As much as you think you love somebody, you don't really know until you do the grunt work, he said. Do you change a dirty diaper? Do you hold your eyes open longer than you think you possibly can because this person needs you? But what I discovered by the time he was well enough to come home again was I always wanted to be that involved in his life from now on. Because you see, the more of that grunt work you do on behalf of another, the better you know how to love.